Welcome back to the Price Law Podcast. It is March 27th, and I'm super excited to have two people over from CBDMD today, Sybil Swift and Lance Blundell. Thank you guys for joining us so much. Thank so you. I think probably the easiest way to start off here is to go with uh, two introductions. Uh, Sybil and Lance, if you guys want to introduce yourselves so we can kind of jump into things. Where do you guys come from? What do you do? And, and how did you get here? Sure, uh, I'll I'll take the lead on that. Uh, Lance Blundell, I'm the general counsel for CBMD. I've been here since the company was founded. Uh, we were founded sometime 2016, 2017, when we were incubating the idea, sort of uh, locally putting out some products. Uh, 2018, Farm Bill passed, and that allowed us to sort of open it up to uh, being uh, in all 50 states. Prior to that, I worked for a multi-state uh, operator uh, doing HEP extractions. I was the general counsel. We operated in California, Oregon, and Nevada, so intimately familiar with sort of the hurdles you have to jump through uh, in the cannabis space. And then prior to that, I was a general counsel for Blue Electronic Cigarettes. Uh, some people may know them, still around. Yeah, it was one of the largest, uh, one of the earliest and largest uh, e-cig companies. So that's going back a lot of years now. Uh, and now I'm focusing on the dietary supplements and hemp extracted cannabinoids for CBMD. I don't mean to go back that to make anyone feel any sort of way, but to give you an idea, uh, my mom caught me smoking blue cigarettes. <laughs> then I guess we were. I had, to, I had to throw that in there. That was pretty. That's funny little anecdote. So, Sybil, <laughs> love the answer. So I started completely differently. I, I was not in industry. I had ambitions to be in academia. I have a master's in AM calls it Kines. It hurts me. It's not a PE teaching uh, master's. It's more physiology. Uh, a PhD in nutrition with an emphasis in biochem. I started doing research in applied physiological systems, looking at DOD recruits, what happens with energy restriction when they first join the military, and that high training regimen does it impact bone and, and muscle in a way that you can't fix later. We know it's going to hurt it, but can you can you mitigate some of those those problems? I went into research after that in a postdoc in, in traumatic brain injury at Walter Reed, and then my first real job um, was in DoD uh, right down the street at a radiation facility in Bethesda. I was doing um, combined injury models, looking at traumatic brain injury and radiation injury, and seeing if there are ways that you can. Make sure that once you survive it, or if you survive it, that there's less damage. Other nutraceuticals you can take. Um, that takes 20 years for you to feed any of those things to people or see those benefits in people. And that to me wasn't sustainable long-term. I wanted to help people immediately. So I thought joining FDA would be a great way to start helping people immediately. Um, moved right into the Office of Dietary Supplement Programs. Um, worked in a number of different, we'll call them roles. It was all the same job, just different titles. I led the office's research program, internal and external. Worked directly with their um, Natural Center for Natural Products Research. I was the project officer for that. Launched a public-private partnership. One of the first in the center with regulated industry was we actually recognized people outside of the agency had expertise in the field it was huge and then i led the office's enforcement um program and portfolio so most of the ingredients on the ingredient advisory list that new list they published lance and i had a fun game we played the bingo of how many did i work on was it what 70 80 percent lance 85 give or take um <laughs> so uh and so worked in that and then i realized that i had a difference of opinion with the way the agency approaches reasonable regulation. I don't know that they're regulating necessarily for industry and consumers, and they claim that it's safety. Most of the time, it's just technicalities. So I left the agency and joined the National Products Association. I was the senior vice president of regulatory affairs. Um, I chose that association because 
they get things done and they get them done quickly. They are polarizing, but they're really effective. And if I'm going to leave the agency, I wanted to work with a group that I saw as being incredibly effective in this space. Um, after a year, I needed to make some changes for personal reasons. And I had already been working with CBDMD. I joined as a consultant and then came on as a VP. I'm now the chief science officer and VP of regulatory affairs and on the board of um, board of directors for the company. And there are so many questions I want to ask you about your time at FDA, but I think that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you a Fed or you were a Fed now? <laughs> well, I'm a Fed. I say refugee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so CB, can you and now uh, can you explain a little bit about CBDMD and um, yeah, uh, the the goals of the company and everything, and then maybe give us a very brief introduction about CBD. I think most of our users should know about it by now, but we've never really covered it much on price plots. We've we've realized if we're going to get into something like regulatory wise, we have to realize we're in for the long haul. And with CBD, we never made that commitment, at least not yet. So with that amend, we kind of have made that commitment. So give us a brief introduction for the for the followers who haven't really dug in either. Yeah, sure. And uh, I'll, I'll sort of give a background of the company, who who we are, where we came from. Uh, the company was founded, like I said, 2016, 2017. Uh, it, was, it was sort of the product of people who had experience in e-cigs, dietary supplements, uh, and in multi-state operators and realized that there would be an opportunity for this hemp-extracted cannabinoid, uh, CBD specifically at the time. But realistically, uh, CBDMD, the, the name says CBD, but we are a hemp extracted cannabinoid company. When the farm bill passed, it opened up the ability for the hemp plant, which I'm sure your your listeners know, it, there's no difference. It, you know, The cannabis plant is the cannabis plant. There are chemovares uh, or varietals, depending on how you want to call it. Some are high THC, low CBD. Some are high CBD, low THC. Cordage, fiber, those plants are what you would typically think of as hemp plants. They were not traditionally used for as for recreational purposes because they were lower in in a THC. That plant at one time in history was actually a legal plant. There was no distinction. There was extract of cannabis in the marketplace. It was in fact in the USP formulary in the 1800s all the way up into the early 1900s when it was removed due to political pressure and sort of the recategorization of the cannabis plant. The company was founded to bring high quality CBD uh, to dietary supplement consumers to supplement the diet. That it was a very narrow scope at the time because we didn't realize exactly how this market would go. Since then, and and with Dr. Swift coming on, who I credit a lot with sort of helping the direction of the company, we have shifted from a CBD company. Uh, if you read some of our early press, it was, you know, we're, the, we're a pure play CBD company traded on the New York Stock Exchange. We have shifted to become a hemp extracted cannabinoid provider that is focusing on functional blends, meaning we're looking at how cannabinoids can partner with other botanical extracts to improve the performance of those botanical extracts or achieve a result that you might not otherwise get if you were either taking the botanical extracts without the CBD or in combination with each other. We've partnered with some high-level universities. I can let Dr. Swift talk about that to look at potentiation, interactions of these, these substances. And so since that founding, we have grown into what I consider to be the leading uh, company in the space. There's Charlotte's Web is out there and, and we like them, so I'll, I'll say their name. Uh, they've been around longer than us. Their story is fantastic. The reason they're in this business is fantastic. The, the 
brothers that run it are great. Um, but we came at it from a slightly different perspective. And so we focused on very pure, very high quality formulations of cannabinoids. And so I feel from a manufacturing standpoint, things that matter to an educated dietary supplement consumer, manufacturing, everything is GMP. All of the facilities are FDA registered food or dietary supplement facilities. All of our ingredients are tested at the source. They're tested again in process. They're tested again before we release the products. We were the first company to achieve an NSF certification for our products. We were the second company to achieve an NSF certification for our operations. And everything that we put in a bottle, package, you know, pouch, whatever it is, you can be assured that it's the highest quality there is on the market. And that thought went into the development and why the specific ingredients were selected. So, you know, in a nutshell, after all those words, we are a high quality hemp extracted cannabinoid company that focuses on functional products to improve everyday health and wellness and optimize human performance. Incredible. <laughs> and and I, to try to set the setting of why that is important, can we talk about the environment or maybe like the, the setting of cannabis or the regulatory of like, like what goes on in this kind of industry? Is that a concern for people usually? I think you've got a lot of, a lot of conversation in the space and, you know, there was a, a massive push in play when it first came out and Lance can speak to that, you know, with consumer perception and it was a marketing play. There was a ton of companies all making claims and, and, you know, CBD can cure cancer to CBD cures diseases. And look, there are some clinical studies that it demonstrates it does actually cure, prevent, mitigate those diseases, but it's at a dose that's a thousand or 2000 times higher than what a supplement is supposed to do. So I think like the supplement industry in general, right? It's supposed to be the wild west. Well, when CBD came out, it was, oh, that's the wild west. I mean, for all, it, it was that ingredient. It's really, it's, it's one right now. I see what we're doing as a brand is just, we're taking the space and saying, look, we want to be regulated. We want to be treated like a supplement brand, not CBD as a specific thing. That's one ingredient that we sell. So what we're trying to do is separate fact from fiction. What can our product really do? And, and help to dispel some of the myths about things that it treats and it does. We're taking testing to a whole new level. When I first came on board and we started trying to you know, formulate in the functional space, the regs for hemp versus the regs for supplements are different, believe it or not. We had supplement companies that are really good ingredient suppliers that we couldn't use their ingredients because they didn't hit a standard or hit the standards for hemp because you're tested to such a high standard for pesticides, for residual solvents and things like that. And it gets, states are playing a bingo game to see like how low can they go? The limbo, right? Instead of bingo limbo, right? It's it's the lowest possible standard. And so I think anyone can get into the space. People were manufacturing in their bathtub. Lance tells a story about a friend of his who could actually do that in his house. I mean, and a lot of people can, but you shouldn't. And if you want to be a real manufacturer and be taken seriously, and we want our industry to be taken seriously, you have to do the things that cost money. You have to do the things that take time. Um, and it, it makes it very tedious, especially because we're subject to a 50 state standard right now. Unlike most supplements, supplements have the federal standard. That's easy to comply to. When you are looking at a 50, a patchwork framework, your label has to be compliant in 50 different states. And one, like Louisiana, if you put the statement on there that makes it legal, you're illegal as a supplement in general. So it's super fun trying to parse between which ones you can be compliant with and which ones you can't. The testing requirements, testing to that 50 state standard, especially in a botanical space with those functional ingredients, 
it was challenging until we had to convince really some of the most reputable ingredient suppliers to work with us because they considered CBD to be, as Lance says, a dirty shirt pile. Well, we're the cleanest shirt, Lance's statement, I love this quote, in the dirty shirt pile. And so proving to people that we were reputable, that we were responsible and we weren't going to take their ingredients and make ridiculous claims was the initial hurdle. And so now that we're there, it's just parsing between an educating and not being afraid. Lance is a good one where you come in and not being afraid to educate consumers. So are you, Go ahead. you mentioned the 50 state patchwork idea. Is it, are you guys technically, because you keep using the word multi-state operator, and I don't know if a lot of our listeners or viewers know what that is yet if they're not into the actual cannabis side. Are you guys actually a multi-state operator or do you just ship over state lines? We uh, So we ship over state lines. The The distinction is the 2018 Farm Bill. So prior to the 2018 Farm Bill, anybody in the hemp space, including Charlotte's Web, was selling a product which was still a Schedule One narcotic, according to the federal government. Since the Farm Bill, hemp has been removed as a scheduled substance and all derivatives, which you know we can we can get into some of those and and why some of them really are not should not be considered safe or or supplemental products. But once that happened, the FDA still regulates food. So you can remove a substance from being a controlled substance. That doesn't mean you can put it into food. There's a whole nother set of rules. We operate under, the federal rules, and I'll, I'll go back to the saying, right? We're the cleanest shirt in the dirty shirt pile. The reason we're in the dirty shirt pile is because of the FDA. There, There is very little basis for our product not being fairly reviewed by the FDA, except for a single line in federal statute that may or may not be applicable. It's, it's never been adjudicated, it's never been decided whether or not our products were in the food supply. Regardless of if they were, the FDA has no reason to not at least review the safety profile of our products. When I say that, a hemp product is able to be sold in all 50 states without specific um, licensing requirements that you would find in, let's say, the adult use or the medical use cannabis space. So when I say multi-state operator, that's terminology right for the cannabis space where there are companies who meet those licensing requirements in multiple states. And it's very challenging, very difficult. You can't transport product across state lines. You're, you're sort of segregated to your own state. Hemp allows you to work across state lines, but you still have to follow food law. And I think, you know, this is where we've talked about and it can get a little bit technical. So we'll let, you know, let you lead how far you want to get that. But food law is different. Food law requires you to establish safety of your product. And there are ways to do that that have been around at least 30 years by statute. And even before that, there are ways to prove your food is safe. And then if you want to claim that it does something, there are rules on how you need to demonstrate the efficacy of their products. And so we are operating under those rules, even without the FDA's, you know, like I'll air quote this, even without the FDA's approval, we're still operating as a federally compliant company. So the day that that changes, we don't have to change anything in our operations. All right. So I have a, a kind of a two-part question. I think they're going to be hand in hand. The, my, my, my first question is, you keep speci specifying the differences between these different worlds of regulatory where you live in and where you're choosing, you know, the way that you're moving this through, through the food system as a hemp. Is that how you need to, or is that how you want to be doing this? Because obviously these laws are kind of built against us. Um, how would you rather be doing it if that's the question? Because I think that's what we kind of want to get to the point of what you're making of how this should be ran. 
And then my follow-up question for Sybil was kind of an open-ended question, and maybe you don't want to answer this, but why is the FDA so closed off to listening to people? If Sybil literally worked there within the last decade, why is there an inability to communicate with the industry? That, uh, excellent question, and they do go hand in hand. I'll yep. I'll be short on my part because the interesting part really comes from Sybil, and and Sybil's you know gloves off. Be be honest on this, like say what you really think. <laughs> I, I laugh because she has no problem saying what she really thinks. Look, we we want to be a food and a dietary supplement. That our entire company has been focused on health and wellness, not on treating cancer, not on you know. We've done a clinical study that shows, and this gets really technical. People can look it up. You can look it up and, and further. But we did a clinical study that shows that our product can downregulate what's called the ACE2 receptor in your lungs. The ACE2 receptor in your lungs is the same one that gets triggered by various uh, disease or illness conditions. I'm not going to name names, but um, <laughs> right? Like, so it's it's a it's an inflammation pathway in your lungs. And if there is a product that helps downregulate that, it's not going to cure the underlying condition. It's going to make it more tolerable. And so if you're continually putting these dietary supplements in your body, I know you're a power lifter, right? And you're a jujitsu guy. So how do you feel about creatine, right? How do you feel about NAC? How do you feel about any one of these substances that you know for a fact when you take it? It helps your body do the things you want it to do. It's not treating, curing, preventing. It's making your machine work better. I like to use machine analogies. So you, you, oil doesn't make your car run, but without oil, it doesn't run well, right? That's what we want to be. We want to be a food. We don't want to serve you five grams of something to, to stop your seizures. We want to give you something that helps your machine run better every day. It helps you sleep better. It reduces just daily inflammation, not not specific inflammation, but the inflammation you get just from being alive. It'll help. It'll help with your mood. It doesn't treat any mental conditions. It helps your brain just sort of work better. And we've done a clinical study to prove this. So so that's where we want to be, right? We want to be a supplement that helps everybody from all walks of life. Real quick question on that. Uh, what was the dose for ACE2 inhibition? 100 milligrams. 100 milligrams. A day? Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, awesome. and and if you're going to ask a technical question like that, the this was a, it was absolutely phase one preclinical IRB double blind run at a university, right? This is as legit as it gets. But because we're a dietary supplement company, not a drug company, we ran it with a low population. I think it was 60 in this study and the, the publication is going to be coming out so you can verify all this. But we didn't run a 300 person study and we didn't drill down into that effect. So we know it happens and it it lends itself to further study. The The point being is we know it does it because we clinically studied it. It doesn't mean we're going to go out there and say we, we cure or treat anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. But 100 milligrams is the dose we've been studying because we feel that's the right minimal efficacious dose. I love that you said low population. It was 60. I thought you were Yeah. <laughs> like literally dietary supplements, like six people is a low. Like that, like you're already doing so much better than we normally do with with creatine right and so we joke but you were the n of one at the uh at the trade show right we were like hey we've got this product what do you think you're like i'll try it you know so i have no clue what you're talking about lance i didn't partake in it <laughs> i want to know how, how it went with will in it but uh look there's there's ways that you know they work and it's by talking to people who take supplements it's talking to people who know their body and then you move that in into a larger study and and i'm digressing because i want Sybil to cover it but 
we're about to partner with Whoop. We we announced a press release. We've been working out details. We're going to feed people 100 milligrams of our product and check their biometric markers. That is not double blind, placebo controlled. They you know they're going to be answering questionnaires, but their heart rate variability is not going to lie. Yeah. Right? Their 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 REM sleep is not going to lie. Like you you can't make that up. So that's what we want to be as a company is helping people with just things they do with every day. That's incredible. I used Whoop for a while. Um, I, I that's an, I, I know that they've kind of tried to use that platform a little bit in that way. That is incredible. I love that you guys are doing that. We've been playing with it for a while so that we could tweak what we were asking and how we used it so we'd understand the data that we got. Um, it, it's also frightening when you look at your sleep scores and you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I could have done better. Maybe I should work on recovery. My <laughs> HRV tends to, to sit around 35. Whoop keeps telling me I need to recover. I don't know what that means. Um, so why do we do it? Because it matters. If, if you're going to do something in this space and you want to distinguish yourself, you really want to be held to the bar that we're trying to set. You have to demonstrate it. You have to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? You can't just talk the talk. Everybody can talk about doing things the right way or we lead with science and then they pay someone to publish a study on their website. I mean, okay, like they created a website, they publish it. It's, it's not really that reputable. We're doing things differently and it matters. So... Why do I think FDA isn't so amenable? I mean, I'm sure you've met Dr. Fabricant. Dr. Fabricant was the led the office, and he'll tell you as well. Working on the inside, it's very interesting. It seems as though they have different agency priorities. For example, when I was there, I came in as a division. We were elevated to an office. No new rules or no new regs, no new money, no new people. All of a sudden, we were an office. We had like 23 people in our orchard. I mean, we were horribly decimated. And it was, how do you do the job? How do you how do you raise the bar and do new things? We happened to catch Gottlieb's ear and our initiatives, the three pillars, got prioritized quickly. Ingredient advisory list, my, I love that project. That was a great project. They've never, they've never fully realized it. They have this early warning tool to tell people that they have a concern about an ingredient. How many of those have they taken the warning letters? How many of those have they actually moved forward through the process? Not that many. They... We've got in a, um, a guidance document on six months, the guidance on highly concentrated caffeine. It was written in a way that allows for industry to continue to utilize the product, the ingredient, because it's it's usable. And Ben, we talked about this. It's usable in a safe manner when you're formulating, right? When you're manufacturing. But I came from research and I've trained high school students, grad students, undergrad students, right? All of them. And they're supposed to be smarter and they're working in a lab. So we'll start with that. Instead of a, a I'm not saying average consumers aren't smart, but they don't have the scientific acumen. So you train them how to use a triple beam balance or you train them how to use a weigh scale. The, the instructions on highly concentrated caffeine were in, written in such a manner that you had to weigh on a scale. Well, do they know how to tear it? Like, actually measure it, like blank it out correctly. Do they know how to measure the appropriate amount out? No. And they're measuring it in such small quantities. A 30 second of a teaspoon can kill you, which is wholly inappropriate. I bake, I bake for my three kids. And like you get what, an eighth? A 16th, you don't get down to a 32nd. So you're required to measure with something that was too small. That got prioritized quickly as well because there are two deaths attributed. Outside of that, I don't think the office has a lot of experience, at least that group in industry. So the regs that they're they're telling people to follow, the guidelines and things like that, they've never applied them. They don't understand how often reputable companies are actually testing. One of my favorite examples is I gave this talk, um, the top 10 violations in GMPs. You give them every year. So how many, what what 10 violations in the regulations do companies fail? So you go and you list them all. They hold them up and they say these, these things. Well, people keep failing them. 
they failed him for like five to 10 years over and over again. All right. At a certain point, I look at my kids because I like to go back to kids. If my kids failed a class, failed a test, and the teacher didn't walk them through, you got to see, I consider C failing, sorry. <laughs> how, how do you get to an A? If they didn't walk them through the process and explain and teach them the steps that are required and translating the regs, because look, I was in the agency. I spoke the language. I understand it from the outside looking and it's like trying to follow IKEA instructions. It's crazy. Like you, what? They don't translate. So they've done it a couple of times on GMPs. I've been fortunate enough to work on one of those trainings with CHPA where FDA participates in a training for industry. Here's what we say. Here's what we mean. They don't do that often. I don't think they have the understanding of what it takes to actually manufacture. It's it's that that lack of understanding. And then do they care? We'll start with CBD now. They're requesting an entire center for botanical ingredient. So unless I'm crazy, hemp, I love this quote, Lance, we've used, we've said this before, and this is how I look at this, right? Hemp didn't fall from the skies. It's not an alien ingredient, right? Didn't come on an asteroid or something. And somebody didn't discover it in a cave after 10,000 years. It's been consumed for thousands of years. So they're treating it like it's totally new and their tools have just broken. They can't use the tools all of a sudden to regulate it. So to fix this, they need an entire center. So for the next ingredient that comes through, that's new, novel, is not an old dietary ingredient, are they going to require a new center for that one? Are they going to continue to raise the bar in such a way that it prohibits innovation, that it prohibits companies from who are doing the right thing to come in the front door? You guys mentioned NMN and NAC. So in those cases, the companies, you've done millions of dollars worth of research. You've done your due diligence and done, you know, the gap analysis. You've looked and you haven't seen an IND published. You haven't seen any significant clinical studies. So you do the work. You actually go through the front door, go through the process. You pay the money, you take the year and a half, walk in with your, your notification and guess what? Door slammed in your face because there's a date that we're not going to talk to you about. Can't tell you when it was, but it's prohibiting you from going on the market. What? Like, in what manner is that realistic? Like, if you really are being genuine about trying to regulate the industry, have some transparency. Take your structure function notifications and explain to people why they got a courtesy letter. Explain, show a list of courtesy letters, the notification process if you'd like to talk about what your ingredient does. You do the studies, you submit something to them. If you don't receive anything back or if you go through the portal, you'll get a check mark that yes, we received it, then you're okay. Otherwise, you get a courtesy letter where they tell you, hey, we disagree with what you've said. Have a list. Tell industry, instead of searching in that hole of regulations stock up, have a list of things that you've disagreed with. So that if you're really trying to teach the industry, they understand the difference between what's okay in a claim and what's not. Otherwise, it's a it's a guess. Like, is it, it, it does that give them more work to do? Does that make them feel like they have a job that I just don't understand the hesitation and resistance to have a real dialogue and communication? Now, it's not your job to make a company work, it's not your job to make them revenue. But it is your job to explain what the rules are and how to comply. Otherwise, the industry that you're regulating never has an opportunity to actually comply. So can we backpedal for one second? Could could you guys give us, because I don't think we've actually explained it on our platform verbatim yet, what exactly has the FDA said about CBD and what exactly are they looking to do with it? Lance, you want to take this one? The exact statements from FDA about it? So, uh, well, it's it's going to be better if, if you go into detail, but at a very high level, the FDA has said a bunch of nothing, right? Like, <laughs> they need more data. 
Yeah, and and I'm I'm not I will I will trust the editing process to not make me look like a ranting lunatic. Ben, you you saw me eating out. I just kept getting my talk in San Diego was supposed to be on a regulatory pathway for CBD. A week before the talk, the FDA came out and in a press release, of all things, in a press release, they they basically said we don't know what to do with CBD. It's just like Sybil said, we don't know what to do. None of the toxicology models work uh, where this substance can be used in so many ways. You can smoke it. You can, you know, you can throw it up in the air and have fairy dust land on your head. Like they don't, they don't know what the fuck's going on. Sorry. I'm going to curse. The, the fact of the matter is if you inhale it, it's, it's, there's regulations for that. If you inject it, there's regulations for that. If you rub it on your skin, there's regulations for that. If you make a particular claim, there's regulations for that. If you ingest it, there's regulations for that. So a substance that can be consumed in multiple different ways with multiple different dose formats doesn't mean you need a whole new set of regulations to deal with it. It is not an alien substance and it's been consumed well in excess of 10,000 years. There's cave paintings with cannabis on it, right? You know, you want to... You want to talk about things people have been eating forever? Mushrooms and marijuana. People have been eating that forever. So to say that you don't understand it, that you don't know what's going on, that there's no way to test it, sort of flies in the face of logic because the single approved CBD drug was based on rat toxicology. But rat toxicology is not good enough for our dietary supplement. I don't know how that works. The so fact of the matter, well, and, and let me finish my rant. The fact of the matter, <laughs> look, the FDA is being disingenuous and what you have, and, and I will challenge anybody to refute this, what you have are people with drug expertise, very good drug expertise. I am not going to knock the FDA on their drug expertise or how they handle drugs. But if all your problems are nails, then you got to be a hammer, right? And so- the FDA has no idea how to deal with food. They just don't. And and I don't even think they're trying. And and I'll let Sybil talk about that. But I, I don't even think they're, I don't think they're giving it any effort at all. So what they do is they take a draconian approach. And rather than looking at the data and being open-minded and regulating sensibly, they, they've just said, we don't know what to do. This, this can't be a food, but we're not going to let you submit your data to prove that it can be a food because when we met with the FDA, they said, yeah, you can submit it, but we're not going to, we're not going to work around these technical problems that you have. And by technical problem, I mean a statutory problem, not a problem with the safety, not a problem with the efficacy. So what does the FDA said? A whole bunch of fucking nothing. You want to quote? There you go. A whole bunch of fucking nothing. That's what they've said. It's not, it's not fair to the American public. It's not fair to businesses who've invested in this. It, it's dereliction of their duty to be a public health agency. It just flat out is. Can I offer just a small de devil's advocate before civil start, just from sure. another perspective that I was thinking about? Um, I want to also introduce the conversation. Something that we also need to talk about is, well, that little thing that I tried at Summit, the yeah. microdose, is that a thing that you guys are selling right now? Is that something we can talk yes. about? Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think an important piece of information that I've been waiting to get into this conversation is that you guys do, I don't know how you want me to say this, you sell THC in a certain yeah. percentage, right? Yep. Uh, it is it is transacted and sold over state lines. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that cannabis in, as a whole, hemp, THC, whatever you want to call it, is going to be a much larger industry than dietary supplements if it is left to go the way that it will. Americans love cannabis. 
Uh, we've been secretly loving it for some years, but we're now allowed to publicly love it unless you have some sort of government job or own a firearms ID or something like that. Um, but at this point, um, it's going to be growing. And as we've seen in dietary supplements, the FDA does not have the manpower or Dr. Fabricant loves to say the willpower to uh, enforce the regulatory. It almost seems to me like, you know, because how, how, what's the percentage of actual audits in this in dietary supplements? Like it, it, they don't have enough people to simply audit pre-workout. It does seem realistic that they would want to punt cannabis because it's going to be so much bigger. I, I'd love to hear what you think about that because they, they can't even audit dietary supplements effectively. Yeah, you, you touched on that. And that's interesting that you said that. So they've received a significant amount of increase in terms of budget over the last, what, four or five years. Those could be directed towards inspectional priorities. They could be directed towards ORA, Office of Regulatory Affairs, which has the inspector but, um, group. They haven't been. Um, so it's it's really, it's where are their priorities going? I think they were given a couple of million, right, earmarked to study CBD. So they spent the money on studying why the rat model wasn't effective or if the right model for CBD to be to be processed, which is interesting because like Lance said, that's the basis for most of the drug studies. You start in an animal and then you're allowed to feed its people. Let's make sure it's safe in, a, in an animal before you start feeding its people. No one wants you to kill people. So they like, and I hate to say it so basically, and, but it's true. So they've chosen to spend money and direct resources towards very interesting things. There have been solutions for that, for that particular issue um, presented to them a number of times. I think that they could have information shared by a number of certification groups like NSF, well, others. It can't tell the FDA not to go inspect, but it can certainly be used to prioritize inspectional, you know, inspections, inspectional prioritization. You don't have to tell people, hey, thanks. I see that they're good. I'm going to direct the resources elsewhere. But they could. Um, when I was there, they were having trouble training new auditors and ins or inspectors to go out. It, you know, it's it's priorities. It's where are their priorities and are they focusing them in the right places? You're absolutely right. If that's one of the ways that they ensure that what you're feeding to people is safe, they should put more towards that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but they're not. Mm -hmm. So why are they misguided? I I have absolutely no idea. Um, yes, we sell THC products. We have broad spectrum and full spectrum products in our in our catalog. You took one of our microdoses, which is a milligram of THC, and it's in a one to 10 ratio. So with that type of ratio, you get less of the, you know, we don't sell intoxicating or impairing products, but less of the feeling of THC. It's mitigated somewhat by that ratio of CBD. Higher quantity of CBD will mitigate that effect even further. So that one is really a calming product. Um, now, why is it legal for you to sell THC over state borders like that? Let's ask the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the... The back to back to what I was saying earlier, the the farm bill removed hemp extracted cannabinoids, including THC, from the Controlled Substances Act. There are some stipulations on that in in law, and I believe the the upcoming farm bill is going to address some of the issues related to uh, hemp in the field and testing hemp in the field because they're. The legal definition of hemp, and, and again, this is an artificial definition because it's all cannabis. The legal definition of what is a hemp plant in the cannabis species is a plant that contains less than 0.3% THC. And it's it, it's written in a very strange way because it's a dry weight measure. But as as you probably know, and as your listeners probably know, 
There's nothing dry about a plant growing in a field until it's dead and dried. So there's also a, there is a process in the cannabis plant whereby the cannabinoids essentially ebb and flow. And there's some decay cannabinoids that come from other cannabinoids all during the life cycle of the plant. So you can have a cannabis plant in a field that's 0.25% THC. And right next to it, you can have a cannabis plant in the field that's 0.35 THC. And if the inspector comes and pulls the 0.35 THC plant, you might have 10,000 acres and it's all hot, right? Like that's, and that's a real basic example. It's, it doesn't really work that way exactly, but you get the idea. So the farm bill itself is addressing some of those issues, but from a consumer standpoint, any extract of that plant that is found in that plant in its natural state. So if it's a cannabinoid that is in the plant throughout its life cycle, that cannabinoid has become legal under the farm bill and is no longer a controlled substance. So as long as the product has less than 0.3% THC, and again, it's a dry weight measure. So you have to think of gummies, have some water in them, soft gels and hard capsules and, and powdered tablets have no water in them. So that's a true dry weight measure. You have to accommodate for the water. You know, in a gummy, you've got a few percent of water. So you take the weight of the product, and as long as the THC content is below 0.3, you're illegal. So you have a one one milligram THC per soft gel microdose product here. The soft gel itself weighs 0.6 grams. You have to take out the water or whatever, and then as long as it's less than 0.3%, THC is legal. Yep, that is correct. <laughs> I didn't know that. I took one of those, and I, I loved it. I had a great time. It was, I mean... Not, with not, the focus product. Yeah, I did take the focus product with it too. Um, with I, I, I want to get back into actually the claims, like things mm-hmm. you can say about CBD and THC, but I keep going with what you're saying. This is hilarious. I'm having a, a fun time on your website. Yeah, so you'll see, I mean, and, and this would be a good segue and I'll, I'll let you lead it, Ben, but you know, there's, there's products on the market, Delta 8, HHC, Delta 10, THCO. There's a, a glut of these products and the reason, and I'll go back to the FDA and I'll blame the FDA. The reason why these products even exist in the first place is because when CBD extraction sort of hit its peak, right? Post farm bill, you had a bunch of farmers, our companies in North Carolina, a lot of farmers who were growing tobacco converted over to hemp. They invested a lot of money. It, you can use the same farm implementations and, and very similar growing practices. So it was a really good transition for them. So you had all this hemp in the marketplace. And the cash crop or the cash uh, component of that was CBD. You can you can use hemp for, to make plastic. You can make fiberboard out of it. You can make clothes. You you don't sell hemp at a high you know per kilo or per ton rate for those uses. You sell the flowering tops, which similar in the can- in the marijuana space. You sell the flowering tops for the cannabinoids. Well, when you had a whole bunch of cannabinoids in the market and the FDA sitting on its hands and not allowing these products to be, you know, and again, air quotes, federally uh, sanctioned. I'll, I'll say that because the states themselves have started to regulate in the absence of FDA regulation, which is both good and bad. So you had all these products and some very ingenious people realized that through a chemical conversion using solvents and various other chemicals, you can turn CBD into Delta-8. 
And delta-8 is naturally occurring in the plant in extremely low levels, extremely low levels. It is not commercially viable to extract delta-8. But you can turn CBD into delta-8, and then you can point at the farm bill and say, oh, well, the farm bill said any cannabinoid in the hemp plant, as long as it's below 0.3 THC, is legal. And Sybil can get into the reasons why, you know, under food law, that's not okay because you can't turn one thing into another thing under food law without very specific steps that you go through. And even then it's very difficult. So, and then you have things like HHC, THCO. These things don't even exist in nature, but they're riding this sort of gray area interpretation. And it really causes a problem for a company like ours. And look, I, I don't think Delta 8 should be banned from the marketplace. I don't think it should be a food. And that's really what we're talking about is I have no animosity. I, I want all the Delta 8 people to do well because if somebody wants to take the Delta 8, that's great, but they should have quality standards, right? They should have testing standards. They should prove what their product is, all the things that we have to do, but it's still not a food, right? Like at the end of the day, that has no place in food law. It has a place somewhere else. And so there's a, con a confusion in the market between what a hemp extracted cannabinoid food dietary supplement is and what these other products are. They, there's something, and like I said, they can they can exist in the market. It's just in a different spot. And going to why we can sell THC, that 0.3 cap, unless, and, and again, you have to be reasonable because there's people out there that aren't reasonable. Unless you have a gummy that weighs, you know, 10, 11 ounces, which is, which is basically like eating a sandwich. Yeah. You really can't put that much THC in it. And when you have a ratio of THC to CBD, it gets into the science. And I like to joke, you know, I'm a JD, which means I'm a doctor, but you know, I pretend I'm a scientist. And when you, when you get a ratio of CBD to THC, and this is being proven out in the literature now, you have receptor competition. And when you have receptor competition, you don't have the same full effect that you would have without receptor competition. And there's CB1 and CB2, right? And they each do something different. So realistically, a high THC product with a lot of CBD in it is going to have very little euphoric properties to it, although there might be some, and you can certainly overload your system. But we're focused on that area of functionality. And what we found, as, as you took, Ben, we have found that somewhere below five milligrams of THC, you can get really, you can get functional benefits in a lot of areas and somewhere between five and 10, maybe up to 15, you can get good relaxation. And there's some people who could take a 10 milligram gummy or a 15 milligram gummy and they don't feel it, but they, but they do get relaxed. And then there's other people who take my wife being one of them. If my wife, wife takes a milligram of THC, she can fall asleep. Right? So that's why we're a consumer products company and everybody's different. Quality, purity, safety, all those things are the underpinnings of, of a reputable company selling dietary supplements. But once you get past that, now you're talking about individual, I mean, there's 300 pound people and there's 100 pound people. And the, the serving that they should take is not always the same, right? There's slow metabolizers and fast metabolizers. There's low body fat and high body fat. All of it needs to be safe. All of it needs to be proven. But that's why we can sell THC, right? Is we we focus on that area of relatively low THC derived from a plant that's less than 0.3 and then formulated in such a way that it it meets the requirements of under food law. A lot of words. Again, I'm, I'm sorry for all the words. No, no, you're good. Uh, it, it's very helpful. 
to me, it feels like this whole conversation has really revolved around the fact that you guys are looking to give a, a, a give nutrition, like give fuel to people who maybe they be, might be athletes, maybe they're professionals, whatever they are. This is quality nutrition that people need to live better. And this is something that Mike and I are really, really passionate about. You know, I'm a little bit more on the athletics. Mike's a little bit more on the diet side, but no matter what, we're talking about giving good nutrition to people. And the problem to, that I see is that there are a lot of people in this space that have no, they don't care at all about that type of mission. You know, there, there's a gas station right on the corner of the highway that I go to, to get on the highway that sells a lot of Delta numbers that I, you guys weren't even talking about. I don't, I, I saw like Delta seven, Delta 12. I, it's probably just written on the label. I, I have no idea, but it's obviously for a perceived effect. It's obviously for an experience that they're trying to curate for these people rather than trying to better their lives or better their, 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 you know, quality of life for that matter. And that's, that's where I started to see like the breakdown of like the way that, that I did not expect Lance to say that like, you know, Delta eight is something that you can get from CBD. And that like, from my perspective, it's synthetic, it's not natural. And like what you were saying, the, the quote that I love from the summit that you said right there was, this didn't fall out of space. We've been con considering this for years and years and years. We just had a podcast with Elon Sundberg, who owns Alchemist Labs, a, a really great testing lab. And he works a lot in um, fungi. Mushrooms is something that I'm super, super, I talk to you guys about microdosing. I'm super passionate about that and that humans have been consuming that for 10,000 years. All of this is obviously just to bring nutrition and quality into humans, but when we have people similarly in that uh, area that are looking to, again, curate an experience, all of a sudden, all of this stuff becomes very adulterated and very untrustworthy. So yeah. we work with Elon quite a bit. I like Alchemist Labs a lot. And yeah. if you talk to Elon on testing in this space, Elon will tell you he's done testing on Delta 8. And there are some, you're, you were right. Lance did say that in very incredibly small quantities, it's found in the plant. So, okay, check the box, it's found in a plant. Great, but you can't extract it from the plant. You have to make it. So it's synthetically derived, which is why it doesn't have a path through a food anyway. Can't be a supplement because it's synthetic. In a product that you're selling on the market, it is synthetically derived or synthetically manufactured. So out the box from a dietary supplement perspective. If you're going to go with a food additive, you have to have a technical effect. So are they going to say because it gets you high? That's not actually on the list. If you go through the grass notification list, getting you high, inebriation, all of those things are not technical effects. So I don't see a path through for that for through that way either, which is kind of what Lance was getting at. So Alon will tell you when he looked at some of the products in the space and the Delta 8 category and all the others, they're THC JDs. I found one once when I went to visit a sports team. I told Lance, I was like, oh, it's yours. Um, they're synthetically manufactured and they're out there to get you high. They have 125 milligrams of something. Don't know what, but something. Alon couldn't even identify some of the peaks. Now, I don't know about you. I'm willing to try different things. I'm willing to try things for an experience walking into it, knowing what it is. But when you're trying something that has unidentified peaks and weird chemicals and you walk into that feeling it in a way that is not desirable or functional, why the heck are you taking the product? Like, why would anyone seek that kind of experience out? I don't, I don't understand. And I feel like that's walking people into a bad experience with the industry in general. And it's going to get people hurt. Like you said, someone's curating an experience in, in the, in the mushroom and the fungi side. If they're doing it because they want to get you incredibly fucked up or take you on a really bad trip, why would anyone come back to that space? So you're you're potentially hurting people to make a quick buck. 
that is not functional. If you're taking them through a process intentionally in a microdose format or in another way, in a manner that they're supposed to be where it's safe and, and you know what you're doing, that I understand. There is a functional benefit for that. So yes, we are taking a different approach than some of the other people in the space. And we're just trying to help people understand how to discern good versus bad so that they don't have that negative experience. Because we've found that a lot of people have been turned off on the hemp space in general because of the bad actors. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say uh, in 2020, we had this we had this podcast, we were talking about regulatory affairs and someone wanted to talk about Delta 8. And uh, I had never consumed it because I don't take things from gas stations personally. Uh, and and a, a respected colleague of mine told me, no, 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 Delta 8's, you know, it's really good. You got to you gotta try it out. So I bought a baggie of gummies and I took 25 milligrams before I went to the gym and I was at the gym for three hours and I, I, I wasn't going to drive home after that. And it's, it's not an enjoyable experience. If that had, if that had to me, like if that had been my first experience with something like this, I would have never come back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it potentially could hurt people, you know, like, uh, you know, I know plenty of adults who use this stuff to deal with stress or to just, you know, help with their day, daily life a little bit better. You can't operate machinery. You can't like go about your lives. You couldn't go to your job and it's, it's dangerous for a lot of people. Um, and, and. Kind of all on that topic, when we were going through your site, uh, you guys were talking about NSF certified, but I realized you have NSF certified for sport on CBD gummies, which I think is like kind of a, a sort of a tangent topic, but I do think is important to talk about. There's a lot of athletes who use CBD to help. Uh, I think Gronkowski was a big one that was talking about that a lot. Is this a big area for you guys bringing CBD that is low in THC that you can certify? I imagine that's a big topic for you guys. We were incredibly excited to bring that line on. Lance and I worked together with NSF when that came out. Uh, the gummies are a recent addition to our lineup. Um, it's it's about finding the right co-manufacturer who is already NSF certified, who can make a product according to spec like we you know described. It's difficult, right? So yes, we see a tremendous benefit and we're starting to see a larger demand when you can demonstrate that someone can take the product and benefit from it from a recovery perspective, sleep, recovery, you know, the pain inflammation thing, aspects of it. It's huge for athletes. The issue, of course, is no one wants to lose a career to feel better or perform. Some are willing to try. Um, and we're, we've realized that there was a, a gap that could be filled with the right brand, with the right integrity of the right product. So yes, there is an increasing demand for products in that space. It's an area that we're constantly talking about. What else can we put in there? One of the products that you took, it's caffeine free. It's a focus product. It's focused for six hours. That's very interesting. If you look at it from an athletic performance perspective, you could take it before you played a seven o'clock game and then still go to sleep that night because you don't have any of the, the effects that caffeine will give you. You don't have the lasting effects. You can go to sleep afterwards. So it's it's a space that we're definitely very interested in. There is a increasingly significant demand, and you know there's the DoD category, right? There's a significant benefit not only for athletes but it, trade workers, for government employees, for DoD, for doctors, physicians, things like that who have stress, who don't want to take a drug for stress, but they're looking for something that is that is supplement that helps them calm down, that helps of, them relax. Sorry, out of curiosity, the the capsules that you gave me with the focus mm -hmm. was that the CBD focus capsules on the, on the site. That's our new formula. So is that no the formula. It's, I, it's similar to the one on the site. We've actually redone that formula. Okay. Cause I was there. I, I really like what's in this. I didn't, you didn't, for the record, uh, Sybil did not tell me what capsules I was taking. This is it. 
It's a normal thing for me and Mike. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Here, take these. Yeah. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Yeah. I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I was heading off to go, like, you know, fight people at your sissy school. And I was like, yeah, you know, I normally don't take drugs before I go do this stuff. <laughs> this is not normal. I'm not sure what you see on, like, Joe Rogan or something. But I, I, I felt great focus. I, I mean, I, I was I was very present. Um, I like I a lot of what's in that capsule. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. So that's actually a revamp of our focus product that we're going to be launching hopefully in the next couple of months. Um, we like to try everything. We guinea pig on ourselves before we try, you know, regular testing, of course, but we get a guinea pig on ourselves because we want to be able to speak to the experience that you get with the product. Is it real? Do you feel it? How do you feel it? How can you describe it? How can you articulate it? Then you can actually market it effectively as well. Um, that had clinically proven ingredients in it. And so the focus ingredient in particular, clinically proven, we've We've purchased that from a well-known partner of ours that uh, that does clinical studies because, as we said, the functional space. We don't want to just go buy something off of, sorry, bulk supplements, but bulksupplements.com. Uh, we want something that's been studied. Well, can we? I mean, it's on your site. Can we talk about this right now? You can talk about that product, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, an extra on here, Alpinia galanga, very popular ingredient, OmniActive, I believe, right? Yeah, OmniActive, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're up here in Jersey, right by us. This is a favorite ingredient of mine right now because. The clinical studies work with and without caffeine, which yeah. is a, I, I think a, a, a very lacking area in supplements is comparing things with other ingredients that they are going to popularly be used with, but also without, right? I, this is wild concept to me is that these ingredients that, you know, are going to be blended with 30 other ingredients in a product. We never see them studied together. Um, so Bacopa, magnesium three and eight, a little Huprazine, and some and some hemp. I mean, that's that's an awesome product. What's the name of this product? I'm lost. CBD okay. Focus Capsules. You go to shop. Just type Focus and that's okay. Well, mm -hmm. Sorry, CBD Capsules. It'll be under Focus. Gotcha. Okay. And the magnesium L3 and eight is magtine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw that as well. From AIDP. The other is the Anextra, the Alpini Galanga. It's experiential. You feel it. Come on. You can actually yeah. feel something as your body's starting to process it. It's really exceptional and it provides you focus either yes, as you've noticed with or without caffeine. We played with it actually. We've tried it with or without caffeine. The reason we opted for caffeine free is there is an there is an aspect of that where you can take it in the afternoon. It is literally an all day. Some people are so sensitive to caffeine or they've already maxed out earlier in the day. I take super physiological doses. Small <laughs> 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 mammals, when I take it and you laugh, I do. Um, but some people are really sensitive. And so you have to be, you know, keep that in mind. And, and how do you offer a product that anyone can take and right. feel and not have that negative sensation with? That's why we opted for caffeine free. Have we thought about caffeine? Yeah. And Lance will talk about this all day. His favorite combo is THC and caffeine. It's fucking perfect because you get that very, very focused feeling without any of the amped up and jittery. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a lovely experience in combination. And yes, we actually, we look at that constantly. What can you combine together? What's been studied together? Do we know the benefits? Are they going to be potentiate each other? So yes, yeah. that's our favorite products. I do have to joke that caffeine and THC are a favorite combination of mine, but I can't get work done when I actually use the doses that I'm talking about. But the one milligram dose that you guys uh, are kind of pioneering with, I, I honestly, I talked to people in cannabis and they weren't really familiar with the idea. I think it's incredible. Um, and something like this, like, you know, I think we all probably have a slight addiction, right? 
Um, you can take these capsules with an energy drink. You can always add caffeine. Caffeine is super easy to find in America. Obviously you can get it at your favorite, you know, Starbucks or whatever, but this, I mean, this fits in with so much. I, I like that you guys are moving in that direction because I, th I think like CBD and TC on its own can only grow so far. Something like this can really become like you're saying functional. And that's the direction we're moving in. What are our pillars? What are our areas? What do we know CBD already works in? How do we know that it, it, it what areas can it impact? How can we augment that? Because yeah. CBD isn't necessarily the best thing since sliced bread. It makes other things work better. And and when you put it in with things, it's it potentiates them in such a way that you can use a lower dose and you see an even greater benefit. So it that's the interesting space that we're trying to move this brand into. And I think that we've done a lot in the last year. And so in the next couple of months, again, I keep saying that, but you know, product development cycles, that's what we're going to start rolling more and more out of is how do we meet customer demands in areas that are specific to what we know CBD works in and how do we make it better? Yeah. Wow. I, um, I have to ask, I've also been just kind of perusing around your site shopping for later. Yeah. Uh, some, I, sorry for interrupting. I, can we not move from the focus capsules? I, absolutely. Six, six. So it says focus 1000 MG. I assume that means milligrams. Can you explain like, what's that? So that's nomenclature that the CBD industry started with. Yeah. That's the total quantity of CBD in the package. in the container. Right. Okay. So that's a little bit different, but each serving is like 33.8 milligrams of hemp extract. What I like on your website is that you do provide lab tests. So total CBD is 27.695 milligrams per unit. What is a unit? Is that a capsule or is that a, a serving size of two capsules? On that particular, that's per serving. Per okay. Per serving. Okay. Awesome. Okay. That's that's pretty nice. Um we look at most if you look, just sorry to interrupt, if you so look at a lot of manufacturers in the space, mm -hmm. the other thing you should do is look at the date of the C of A. Right. That's one of the things that we're trying to push in the industry. Mm -hmm. Those are current. Every time we we redo the batch and, and we reformulate, every time we manufacture another batch, new C of A goes up. If the batches, if any CFAs are over to your 18 months, two years old, mm -hmm. question it. Right. Uh, because you this don't know what you're currently taking. That's what, what I'm looking at is five weeks old as of right now. So that's really awesome. Cool. And then you have tons of pesticides you're, you're searching for usually. And yeah, we've been taking around a little bit. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, I, I think Ben was, I, was, I interrupted Ben and he said something else. I, I kind of wanted to, for me, eventually backtrack a little bit. And you talk about there was, Talk of uh, like really bad claims being made, especially early on. I'd like to know like what kind of claims kind of can be made um, for CBD, THC. And we never really formally uh, defined Delta 8. I'm not, a, you know, I'm more of a rookie on some of this stuff, but it seems like we've kind of defined it and it's a uh, synthetic uh, drug, quasi something that's not not as good as some of this other stuff. But um. So I wanted to backtrack and talk a little bit about like what claims can actually be made. Unless Ben had something else going on. Nope, go for it. You want to jump in, Lance? You moved. No. Oh, hi. Um, so we have to make some assumptions if we're going to talk about this openly and honestly, because due to the FDA's position, and it always keeps coming back to this, right? Due to the FDA's position, what happens is there's a... Uh, there is no commercial motivation to invest money into substantiating your product safety or the efficacy of your product, right? So in a world where you're not allowed to say what your product does, you might as well lie, 
right? That's And that's why you have a bunch of companies out there, websites out there talking about pain and, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen everything, you know, it'll get rid of your Tourette's to it'll, you know, it'll grow hair to it'll, you know, get rid of cancer. Like it's, if you don't have any regulatory oversight, say whatever the hell you want. Right. And don't worry about safety in the way it's supposed to work. Right. The way it's supposed to work under Deshay, which has been the food law of this country for over 30 years or right around 30 years, is that. First, if you want to put a product on the market that has not been consumed by the public uh, historically, and I would argue that extracts of cannabis and cannabis have been consumed historically, but that's a, that's a whole nother discussion on the nuances of, of sort of law, is that you have to demonstrate the safety of the product in the format that people are intended to consume at the level they're intended to consume it, right? And so you do toxicology. And You've demonstrated safe. Once you've demonstrated it's safe, if you want to do anything other than put it on the market, if you want to say what it does, you have to go demonstrate what it does using, um, you don't have to use a drug level study, let's say, but you have to use the type of study that would be reasonably interpreted by experts in the field. And I'm sure you guys have heard this language a lot, right? Like, so if, scientists agree on the outcome, it's probably a reasonable outcome. If scientists don't agree, then maybe it's questionable. So food law says you can make a claim on your product, a dietary supplement law called a structure function claim. And I'll go back to creatine. Creatine absorbs in muscles and it's in, it's in red meat. People have been consuming forever. It, it accumulates in your muscles and it improves for, you know, without getting too technical, it improves oxygen transport. And so it allows your muscles to recover better and, and grow. So creatine comes out and says, you know, take, you know, take five grams of creatine a day and it'll improve muscle growth. It'll lower fatigue. It will do all these things. In the CBD space, we're not allowed to say anything because of the FDA's position, right? And so this is why I would make very clear without the FDA suppression of this ingredient, we would be able to make various claims based on the results of our clinical studies. And it's not about how much money you spend, but you can't do a clinical study without spending money. And I think Sybil might've mentioned earlier, our toxicity studies now, because we've submitted them to other countries. And so we have to you know, do various things other than just the study. We're well over a million dollars. We're probably at a million and a half dollars that we've spent on that. And as far as the Efficacy studies, both the dog study we did at the uh, Colorado State University and the human clinical we did at the University of South Carolina, we're probably into that for close to a million bucks, right? And so why invest the money if you then can't tell the customers what the product does? Normally, we would be able to say CBD can reduce inflammation. Normally, we would be able to say CBD can reduce pain. And, and again, it's it's situational. It's not all pain for all reasons, right? It's not a it's not a narcotic. It's not an opioid, but we can reduce pain and we can we can prove it clinically. We could say that it improves mood. Is it it's not Xanax, right? It's it's not a, a heavy duty, it's not lithium, it's not an antipsychotic, but it can improve mood. And we proved it. Right now, there is literature out there. There's anecdotal evidence. There are some studies that don't rise to the level, let's say, of a of a clinical study that shows that it can improve your sleep. It, it stands to reason it being a kinetic. All of those things 
should be able to be disclosed by a company who's done the, the right type of clinical study. That's why we're so angry, right? Like, and again, I'll go back to that. Ben, you saw me getting getting riled up because I was about to go in front of a bunch of experts in dietary supplement space and and scream and yell and pull out my hair because we've invested the money, we've done the studies, we've done them right. They're beyond reproach in terms of analytics. Like anybody can look at them and, and agree with the results. Could we do more? Certainly. Could we put more people in the study? Certainly. Could we could we drill down on nuances of the various benefits? Certainly. But we met the requirement, right? And and so our company is one of the very few that can say that. But where's the incentive, right? If, and we need to talk to you so that you can turn around and talk to your customers and your followers and the people who look to you for expertise because you're not the product manufacturer. So you could talk to us, you could do your research, you can read the literature, you can look at our safety study, you can take the products and say, wow, it did this. We can't. And the one reason we can't is, is the FDA, right? The FDA's position on this, which I think is untenable, it's derelict, it's disingenuous, because at the end of the day, Sybil, this is one of my favorite quotes. We, we love to throw around quotes because it's gotten so ridiculous. We just try to say ridiculous shit every now and then. It's like the rats that we used in our study must have driven on the right side of the road and spoken with funny accents because in the UK, our toxicity data is accepted. And in Europe, our toxicity data is accepted. But in the United States, they refuse to analyze our data. That just doesn't sound right. Wow. So on your website, it says uh, on the homepage, it instead says like CBD is used for pain, stress, wellness, sleep, but you have to work around some of those issues. It, it, yeah. It slows innovation. It slows knowledge, really. Yeah. It's frustrating. Okay. I, I understand. Um, but yeah, we've, this is cool. Okay. It's almost we, I, like, yeah. I become like callous to it, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. At this point, it's like, well, I mean, if I talk about a heart supplement, this may balance your blood pressure it may help if, may, it may help with it right it support yeah it might support it like like we all know ajaga lowers blood pressure but i can't just say that right like and, and it's funny because i i guess like i feel like i become callous to it because customers will be like well will it will it or will it not i'm like no this is this this is how it is this is what we have to say uh maybe, maybe i'm just a little bit jaded with the whole thing i it, to me I'm, i don't even really mind it at this point because it's just it, it is what it is but I like Mike's point that this is hindering education at this point. It is, this is hindering our ability to help people. And and it's allowing shady people to sell products with euphemism and analogy and, and not really doing the science that's necessary. And this science, by the way, it's, in, it's ingredient by ingredient. So Charlotte's Web science is different than our science is different than Company X's science, not because the molecule is different. But because the manufacturing process is different, the source is different. Elon will tell you possible pollutants are different depending on you know if you extracted it with ethanol or pentane or critical CO2. All of those things, at the end of the day, result in pretty much the same molecule when you're talking about isolate products. But when you're talking about distillate products, they're not all the same. So where is the rigor required by the FDA when the FDA is turning its back you know, on this ingredient? Well, it's tough. Sorry, it is. And I hear other companies, I've, I've seen articles posted on LinkedIn about in the UK EU, they're saying, well, we can't do those studies. They're too expensive. Well, we talked to someone here in the United States after one of the shows we attended. They're really great, you know, well-intentioned. They're like, yeah, but we, we just can't do the studies. So I don't know how to say this, but if you can't prove that your product is safe or you're not buying it from someone who's done that, 
should you be selling it? <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. Like, yes, there is a bar. And that's that's actually one thing that I do believe and I agree with the agency on. There is a bar because if you're going to feed it to people and they're going to take it and they're going to consume it, you have to have done steps to, to demonstrate that that product is safe and that what you're saying actually does happen. Uh, I agree with that fully. And that's what we've embraced as a brand. I'm. I have to say, like, I, and I totally agree on the safety aspect. Like, if you can't like certify, study, and and, and show that it's at least safe, that's ob- that's a really great bar. I like that bar a lot. Um, but I was I I was also kind of thinking as you're talking about different, you know, different outputs of what this could become. It reminded me a lot of honey. Uh, honey, depending on where the bees are from, depending on what season it is, but depending on what they're able to get around, what kind of flowers they're able to get to will change the nutritional value of it drastically. And I'm okay with that. I love that in all these kinds of natural foods and nutrition. I'm okay with some variance to that. Like maybe Charlotte's Web's uh, CBD or hemp extract is different than yours just because it comes from a different location. Being able to show that it is safe at the very least seems like a very low bar to me, at least. Yep. With the regards to safety, are there um, with questions about THC? Like, uh, okay, I'm not an expert here. 10 milligrams per gummy. Um, if you took two of them, is it positive? I mean, like, is there an issue? That's not even the serving size. The serving size is one gummy, 10 milligrams, which I don't think gets people high. But like, if someone were to take two or three, that might be towards the the high range. Is there, um, does getting high have something to do with safety at all? So let me answer that question with uh, one of my favorite examples. So that's where you get into free will and you can't regulate or formulate or label past a free will situation, right? And so- I looked, I wrote the guidance on caffeine. I can talk about that one specifically because I looked at that in a manner that what's a safe limit. Well, most people hit, hit the place where they no longer metabolize it. Normally it slows down at 500 milligrams. So that's the limit, right? And at a point where there is free will, someone has to make the choice to take more than one serving and put it in their mouth, knowing you've gone above, hopefully you're doing it reasonably. So we, we label in such a manner as to provide people with information to help them have a good customer experience. So if someone decides to take more than the serving, that is at that point, unfortunately, a free will. You you can't, there's no bar or barrier. There's really no way to prevent people from making a choice. Um, but what you can do is put it into such a manner that one serving is safe according to the conditions of use. And I think that's what reasonable and responsible manufacturing is all about, is you have to allow someone to take one serving safely. And then provide the we have the warnings on that particular package. There's a ton of warnings. Some are state, some are just for consumer experience. Um, and you have to look at the warnings. And if you choose not to read the warnings, if you choose not to follow the 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 statements on there, I mean, take it outside of a supplement space. It's almost like you're consuming alcoholic beverage, right? On on a can. When you when you look at a beer, it'll tell you about the warnings. It'll tell you about a serving. Someone can make a reasonable choice to open more than one. They can open ten. And at that right, at that point, they have made a choice. So it's it's a similar manner in such that you have to label in a way to allow someone to have a safe experience that is in a supplement level experience. And beyond that, that is a consumer choice. There's no way to, to regulate or to manufacture for that. So uh, Thank you. we have 13 minutes left. I, 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 we do have to get moving. But I think a good closing question here, maybe to drill in a little bit on specifics here. Outside of safety of THC, outside of the intoxicating nature that may or may not come from it, that is not your intended purpose at CBDMD, what are the concerns with safety when it comes to hemp products? Are there solvents? Are there is there what what would you be concerned about with a consumer that isn't buying CBDMD? And to follow on that, yeah, like yeah, the concerns that you have, but like how can we help you? I guess is the next 
the the way to close up? Like, what do you need? So those are great two-part questions. It's a great two-part question. So concerns about safety, if it's not our product, if you've ever looked at some of the testing, I mean, people are buying things that from a safety perspective, they could be too high. Not really, because most of the people in the space are formulating a certain range. There's a target range and that's dictated by the quantity per like cost per unit, right? So it's more of a, how are they manufacturing? Are they do it, doing it in a GMP facility? Is it in a place where you don't have to worry about the the molds and, and the aflatoxins and things like that? That That is an issue. Um, the pesticides and residual solvents, it's if they're using quality hemp and if they're going through a manufacturing pro- process that is according to the GMP and the regulations, then you wouldn't have any of those in there. Our heavy metals are pervasive throughout our industry. And so there could be high heavy metal levels. Are they reporting it correctly? Are they going to a testing lab that is not reputable? Um, because you can get results from someone or you really get results from a third party ISO certified lab. So understanding the difference between fact and fiction and how can you guys help us? Having opportunities like this to talk to you, to, to present our side and look, we're not the only one in the space that's doing this the right way. There are a few. And I think it's just helping customers to understand fact versus fiction, understand where to look for the right information, understanding that, look, I think the agency is well-intentioned. I don't think they present this information the right way. I think they're using fear-mongering to push people away from it. And then you're getting people who are willing to take chances because they think it's just a fun product. They're not looking at the functional benefits. So I think helping people understand what it can really do for you and how it can work with other products and other ingredients, that's important. So helping us to educate people about the truths and the myths is is really important. And the rest of it, I think quality products will start to, to stand out in a crowd if people know how to discern between quality and not so much. And and so that's the well-reasoned answer that you get from the scientist. I'm... I'm- <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you the real answer. You can sell our products on your website and and you can try our products and you can tell your customers what they did for you because the all of the safety stuff is real and, and Sybil's absolutely correct. You need to validate. And I know how you guys do business too. So number one, selling our product on your website tells your consumers who aren't going to do all that research that you did it. That's, that's one of the things you bring to the market and kudos to you guys for doing it because not enough people do that. But at the end of the day, does it work? Does it work for you? Do you have a need for a product? The dietary supplement should be taken in order to improve your health and wellness. And CBD and and the cannabinoids happen to be one of those ones that generally hits a checkbox on pretty much anybody's life. Are you too stressed? Are you too busy? Do you exercise too much? Do you garden too much? Are you a little bit older? Yeah. Are you not sleeping? Are your joints a little stiff? You know, do you sit in a chair too long? We hit the sweet spot for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, you know you shouldn't take a supplement if it doesn't work, you don't need it. The biggest issue with CBD is that if you take CBD products, it takes three weeks or so for the benefits to start showing up and, and being able to tell people that and stick with it and you know take it every day, you're not going to get immediate relief. But when you stop taking it after that amount of time, the things come back that you you don't really notice are gone, right? It's another, it's like, it's another one of those, I'll go back to creatine. It's like you, you do a loading phase with creatine and then you do your daily phase with creatine and you lift weights. You're like, yeah, I'm not getting any bigger. Well, it doesn't work that way. But, you know, in a month, 
of constant exercise, you will be bigger than you otherwise would have been. You'll be less sore. And then you stop taking the creatine and you're like, wow, why am I, why am I so sore after that heavy leg day? You know, it's like, well, because the supplement that was helping your body cope with things is not there. The best thing you can do for us is educate your customers or, and, and your listeners and just be advocates for you know, responsible companies. I think at the end of the day, and that's what you've built your brand on is advocating for responsible companies, talking to responsible companies. That's the, the fact that you've even had us on. Um, I mean, I, you know, I don't need to say this. We're already on, but like, it means a lot to us because the way you approach supplements, you're talking to a company that approaches things the same way. And, and so, but I'm going to go back to sell our products on your website. (laughs) Well, thank you. So we have a few more minutes. Have you uh, looked into any of the endocannabinoids at all, like uh, anandamide? I saw a study, I was just digging into this uh, study showing that it potentially potentiates CBD at all. Um, Have you, is that an area you're- Link up with NMV. Yeah. So anandamide is really unstable from from everything that we're seeing. And there's been a couple people out there that, that, claim to have some anandamide, but it's, it's not the most stable. Uh, PEA is another one. And there's actually a company that we're working with right now where we're integrating their PEA product into some of our formulas. And we're actually, we just had a meeting right before this podcast where we're talking about because of the problems with CBD, right? Because of the FDA's position that we can substitute in PEA instead of CBD, they do work synergistically together. There is some receptor competition, but they work well together. We could substitute that in and achieve some of the same benefits. It's not exactly the same, but yeah, we're very, we're very interested in uh, those cannabinoids because there's less of a regulatory hurdle. But at the end of the day, there's thousands, you know, there's probably hundreds of cannabinoids. We haven't identified most of them the top 16 to 20 that we know about, they all have slightly different effects. There's a reason they all exist. And so substituting one for the other, it works. But our goal is to find the right blend of cannabinoids at the right levels to, to serve a purpose, right? It's not all about 50 milligrams of CBD. Maybe it's about 25 milligrams of CBD and 10 milligrams of CBG. That Maybe that's what you need for your particular use case. But to, to round it off, Yes, absolutely. We're we're interested in them, and we are looking at them in some of our formulations. We should get you guys some fast bliss. We have a, we have a partner that makes some uh, cool anandamide that we've been enjoying for a couple of years. Used to only be in liquid form, but they're finally figuring out. Yeah, that's spicy. That's one of the reasons, right? Like, yeah, the doesn't bode well for multiple dose formats, so you have to yeah. in a single dose format. So I have to have you test it. Behind me in that cabinet is the the wall of shame. It's all the products we've sampled that have been similar that we've tried. Some of them I've actually, we've had a ton of gummies though. The gummy case in there so we never fall into that trap again is the gummies that do not taste good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're wretched. Absolutely just wretched. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's difficult to get into that formulation that is actually palatable and an enjoyable experience. The spicy thing is, is another thing. I mean, you always get that back of the back of the tongue kind of sensation yep. from cannabinoids, the dry mouth sensation with the THC. So yes, it's it's an interesting experiential conversation about how do you make it a better experience in general. Yeah, cool. Can I uh, can I ask within these last five minutes? Uh, we talked a little bit about multi-state operators. We talked a little bit about the, the whole food idea. How do you see the future of CBD? God, this is a long question, I'm sorry. How do you see the future of, of, of hemp and cannabis and CBD? Uh, going in between, like you know, we have we have local dispensaries, we have medical dispensaries, recreational dispensaries. How is all of this going to come together? So, Ben, that's the next podcast we get into detail on that. 
But for today, that's Lance's favorite quote from the Sport Nutrition Conference. Lance, how do we start parsing through that? What do we have to do with FDA? So there's no good answer. <laughs> like, like, so sad. That's all podcast. Look, yeah. there. I'll go back to what I said earlier. And we heard, I think, uh, Norman Norman Birnbaum. I think that's his name. He's he's one of the advisors for the Cannabis Center at the FDA. Right? Yeah. So when you lump everything in together, I, I couldn't tell you what to do. You got a new center that's got to figure out all sorts of rules. Here's what I can tell you. If you eat cannabis there is a set of laws on the books right now if you inhale cannabis there's a set of books on the law right now you have to worry about the the inebriation intoxication aspects of it which is why we have have ttv right we have people that regulate intoxicating products in the government still has to be safe has the same same toxicology right you don't you don't need special rats um once cannabis is legalized you still have issues with drug exclusion. You still have issues with food law. It is not a magic bullet that cures the problem. And and I'll throw this back to Sybil. A state as well-intentioned, and I dealt with this when I was dealing with multi-state operators, as well-intentioned as a state is in regulating its cannabis business, they have zero business determining the safety of those products. They are not in the business of determining safety. And there is not one state including California, that really is addressing safety. California came out, this, this is another one of my soapbox topics. California came out with a list of pollutants for the for the cannabis business that is based on inhaling cannabis. It is not based on eating cannabis. You cannot inhale vitamin E acetate. You can eat as much of it as you want to. So vitamin E acetate should not be in a vaped product. It should not be, be in any sort of inhaled product. But you put it in food products, but you know there are pesticides, and I'm not saying people should eat pesticides, but there's pesticides on that list that don't hurt you if you eat them. There's other things on that list. So the reality is, is that there is no one size fits all. There, there is not. And when cannabis is legal, yeah, it still needs to fit into these regulatory pathways to prove that the products are safe. And that look, if your goal is to get somebody high, that's great. But shouldn't there be a safety standard telling you? how much you can take, right? There's- And a manufacturing on, standard, Lance. There's limits on alcohol. The, the, the percentage of alcohol is capped. You you cannot sell, you know, 199 proof alcohol for consumption in a liquor store. You can't do it because it's not safe. You can sell it to rub on your skin as a disinfectant. So at the end of the day, these regulatory pathways exist. You just have to sort of decide what your business is. And once it's legal in all states, it's, it's still, you can drive beer across state lines, <laughs> right, you can you can drive alcohol across state lines. You can import it from other countries. It has to meet certain quality standards, non-adulteration standards. And ben, you mentioned it. Like, is it adulterated? Is it not adulterated? What's the standard? What do you measure by? How do you test it? All that stuff exists in the silos that we have right now. So Love it. it's uh, it'll be interesting to see because there's social equity arguments. There's all sorts of arguments for legalization. Once it's legalized, now what do you do with it? Right, they, they didn't come from space. Yeah, seriously. Well, we have to go, but guys, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really incredible episode. Oh, thanks, thanks guys. We, we appreciate it.